0: Well, as we continue to worship, I trust that the Lord has used our songs of praise this morning and our prayers and even the scripture reading uh, from 1 Peter chapter 2 to bless your heart and encourage you and to challenge you in the ways of the gospel. We are going to continue to worship this morning as I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. We have been splitting our time together on Sunday morning through uh, a... between working through our vision and commitments as well as working through the epistle of the Apostle John to the churches. And so this morning we find ourselves back in 1 John chapter 1. We're going to look at two verses this morning, namely verse 10 and chapter 2 verse 1. So I trust that you have your Bibles this morning and that You will turn there, and as you do, let us turn to the Lord one more time in a word of prayer as we ask Him uh, to be with us now in this uh, time of opening God's Word uh, before us. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful this morning that we are not left in the darkness, that You are light, and that in You there is no darkness whatsoever. And that You have revealed that light to us through Your holy and inspired Word. That You have preserved even this letter from the Apostle John who lived two millennia ago in order that we might be able to open it up and understand what is truth. That we might open it up and understand what is the mind and the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, that we might open it up and know what is eternal life, even as John says in this epistle. And so, Father, as we seek to truly understand what you have for us in your word, would you give us an extra measure of attention that our hearts may give heed to your word. We're so thankful for it, and we pray this in your name, amen. To be... Continued. Now, those words certainly have an aspect of anticipation attached to them. When you get to the end of a story and you read those words to be continued, you are left wondering, well, what comes next? Things feel unresolved. Well, we left things a bit unresolved last time we were in 1 John. And so this morning, we are going to finish up what John has to say here at the end of his first chapter. As we move from verses 8 to 9 into verse 10, and even into chapter 2, verse 1. We've been working our way through this very personal and passionate letter from the Apostle John to the churches. And if you recall, the last time we were together in this letter, we looked specifically at chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. This morning, we are going to continue on from that message and look at verse 10. Now just to review a bit, since we've been out of this book for a few weeks, what we saw in verses 8 and 9 is that we have an ongoing relationship with sin. The tenses of the verbs throughout this passage are everything. They're filled with meaning and significance. The verbs here really get to the heart of what the Spirit is seeking to communicate to us. What we noticed in verses 5 through 9 is that these verses are filled with present tense verbs, which means that John is describing an ongoing relationship with sin. He's describing something that we encounter every day of our lives in the present. Not in the past, which we will look at in a second. Not in the future, but now, currently, as we sit here. Maybe even some of you are distracted by the things and cares of this world. And the old nature is seeking to draw your attention away from the Word of God, and to what you're having for lunch or what you're doing after the service. You see, we are constantly living in this tension of sin, of drawing us away from the person and work of Christ. So in order for us to somewhat review and establish the context of verses 10, uh, chapter 1 verse 10 and 2 verse 1, let us read begin reading at verse 5 what i'd like to do is something that i did last we, or last time we were together is to draw your attention to all the present tense verbs in this passage and you can find it on the insert in your bulletin notice what john says here beginning in verse 5 he says this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that god is light And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we are having fellowship with Him while we are walking in darkness, present tense verbs, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. Verse 7, But if we are walking in the light... As He is in the light, we are having fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, is cleansing us from all sin. Notice all of the present tense verbs in those verses. Verse 8, If we are saying we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we are confessing our sins, He is faithful and just, To forgive us our sins and is cleansing us from all unrighteousness. You see, what the text is describing here is very practical. That is to say that John and the Spirit through John is addressing our everyday practices. Beloved, we cannot live... That is, conduct ourselves daily in darkness and at the very same time live or conduct ourselves in the light. These two things are diametrically opposed to one another and they cannot, no, they never will coexist. And therefore, our daily practice must be to put to death the deeds of the flesh, those deeds which are done in darkness, and to put on the fruit and deeds of the Spirit, which we now have in Jesus Christ. Every moment of every day, the Spirit is calling us to depend on the new creation of Christ in us to live out godly lives. But in verse 10 of chapter 1 all the way down to verse 1 of chapter 2, the verb tenses change a bit. They go from the present tense to the perfect tense in verse 10 and the aorist tense in chapter 2 verse 1. Now, I know some of you may not think that that is an important detail, but trust me when I say it is absolutely crucial to understanding what John has for us this morning. I mean, even the Apostle John thinks this matters. It's why he switched up the verb tense in the first place. Daniel Wallace, in his book, Greek Grammar Beyond the Basics, says this. You can find the quote on the insert in your bulletin. The perfect is used less frequently than the present, aorist, future, or imperfect. And when it is used, there is usually a deliberate choice on the part of the writer. John the Apostle is deliberately switching things up here in order to communicate something differently in verse 10 than he did in verses 8 and 9. Because what we learn in verse 10, beloved, if you're following along in your bulletin insert, what we learn in verse 10 is that we sin because we are sinners. We sin because we are sinners. Notice it with me again in verse 10 of 1 John chapter 1. He says, if we say we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The tense of the verb here, have not sin, is as I said in the perfect tense. Now the perfect tense is significant because John is not only looking at something that is happening in the present. He's also looking at what happened in the past In order to bring about our current predicaments. One commentary on this verse says this. It says, the present tense, or I'm sorry, the perfect, the perfect tense is the verb tense used by a writer to describe, hear this: a completed verbal action that occurred in the past but which produced a state of being or result in the present. John is looking at a past action that has an ongoing effect into the present. John says, if we claim, in this verse, if we claim that a past action did not occur, which resulted in our current condition, then we make God out to be a liar. Now what event exactly does John have in mind in the past that created our current situation? Well, there are a few answers to this question, I suppose he could be referring to the very first sin that we as individuals committed, which then caused us to be sinful. But the problem with that is that that is backwards. Because we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That is to say that our sinful nature produces itself, the fruit of the old man, are all of those characteristics that we read in Galatians chapter 5, not too many weeks back. And so this can't be saying that it's our acts that make us unholy. It is our unholy nature that creates our acts. And so what I think John has in mind here is something so much deeper, and fundamental to our natures. You see, what John has in mind here in verse 10 is that original event that caused us to have a sin nature in the first place. You see, when Adam sinned in Genesis chapter 3, he plunged the whole of humanity into To sinfulness. We could say this morning that we sin because we are sinners, but we are sinners because Adam sinned. Let me repeat that. It's found on the insert in your bulletin. Beloved, we could say that we are sinners or that we sin because we are sinners. But we are sinners because Adam sinned. All the way back in Genesis chapter 2. That first event which separated Adam and Eve from their most holy creator. And therefore passed on to their progeny from generation to generation. That very same tendency To run and hide from God, it is that very act that John has in mind in here. It is that event, that cursedness that we received because of the works of our first parents. If we deny that, then we make God out to be a liar. And why is that the case? Because God has declared that to be true and the certainty of reality in his holy and inspired word. There are many people who seek to answer what are the problems of this world around us. But God's word gives us a proper understanding of why there is so much sin and selfishness in the world around us. It's because Adam sinned, and when he did so, he plunged the whole of humanity into sinfulness. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, all, hear that again, all, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Hear it again in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3, among whom we all, that is we all, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. John says that if we say we have not sinned, perfect, active, indicative. That is to say, if we deny Genesis chapter 3, which we are so prone to do in our modern day culture. If we deny Genesis 3, then we make God out to be a liar. How essential must this be for our understanding of humanity this morning? For the indictment that John places upon this charge and false claim is not little. Notice what he says in verse 10. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar. Notice the progression that John has gone through throughout these verses. In verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But in chapter 1 verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and the Word is not in us. You see, at the heart of this claim is to deny reality. It's to deny that which God has instituted from the very beginning. That if you walk in darkness, you are outside of fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that the reason we are so prone to do so, beloved, is because within every single one of our hearts is the desire to turn our backs on God. You see, each one of us, even as Ephesians 2 declares to us, each one of us are enemies with God. We stand opposed to the Lord God. We desire anything except to see the Lord's will be done on this earth, even as it is in heaven. That is who we are in our natural self at the core of our being. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 say therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. 1 Corinthians 15:22 says for as in Adam all die so also in Christ all will be made alive. What John is thinking here is fundamental to who we are. He is addressing what we are at the core of our beings. And He is doing this for a very, very important reason, beloved. He is impressing upon us that we sin because we are sinners, because Jesus saves sinners. That's the second point, if you're following along in your bulletin insert this morning. Not only are we sinners, but Jesus saves sinners. This is why this point is so essential in John's mind. Because if we are not sinners, that is to say, if sin is not inherent to our very nature, then there is no reason we need a Savior. But we do need a Savior. And we have a Savior in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He saves us, hear this, He saves us not only from our individual acts of sin, but He saves us even down to the very core of our sinful nature. We have a blessed Savior this morning. And He saves us. From ourselves. Notice what it says in 1 John chapter 2. Verse 1. It says, My children, I am writing these things to you. So that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ. The righteous. Now I want you to notice. That John has two goals in mind here as he is writing these verses to us. Notice what it says in verse 1. Now I've supplied the New American Standard version for you in your bulletin insert because I hate to say it, but I think the NASB does a better job of translating verse 1 than the ESV. And I feel like I've been saying that an awful lot lately. But what we see in John chapter 2, verse 1, notice it with me. If you're following along in the insert in your bulletin, it says this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that, remember purpose statement. John has a lot of purpose in and through his epistle, so that you may not sin. And... If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now the Greek word there for and in the New American Standard is the Greek word chi. Now this word could be translated as even or also. So John says, I am writing these things to you so that... You may not sin, and also, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And so John is writing to two ends in this verse. He's first addressing our desire to sin, I am writing to you that you may not sin, and also, he is writing to address our acts of sin. And therefore, when the temptation overtakes you and you have a sinful and angry outburst with your child or your spouse or your neighbor, what are we to do with those things? Well, first, we have to address the root of the outburst. And then we have to address the outburst itself. John here addresses both things. Now, how does he do that? How does John address both our desire to sin as well as our sin itself? Notice it again with me in verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And also, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. She beloved Jesus the righteous' advocacy addresses our desire to sin as well as the very acts of sin that we do. So what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is I just want to explore this idea of what John presents to us as the advocacy of Jesus Christ and how that applies most specifically to our desire to sin. The word that John uses here for advocate is the Greek word parakletos. It is a compound word made up of two parts. The first being the preposition para, which means to come alongside of. The second word being the verb kletos, which means to call or to summon. And so the word itself means to call alongside of. The Lagos Bible software defined this idea of advocate, and you can find the definition on the insert in your bulletin, as a person who acts as a spokesperson or representative of someone else's policy, purpose, or cause, especially before a judge in a court of law. This term, parakletos, was used most often in the first century to refer to a family lawyer. Someone that you had on retainer that you could immediately call in case of legal trouble. And that that person would then come alongside of you and defend your case before a judge. And that is absolutely the picture that John is trying to paint for us here. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus, in those moments when we stand before the God of all the earth, or, as we'll see in a second, when our hearts condemn us, Jesus comes alongside of us, and defends our case for us. John uses this term, paraclete, in another place. He uses this term, paraclete, in his gospel, John chapter 14. So if you have your Bible open, turn with me over there to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, where we see John use this word and we get a sense of what John means by this word and how he is importing that meaning into John chapter 2 verse 1 and applying it to Jesus. Notice John chapter 14 verse 16 says this. He says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you, notice, another Helper. That word there for helper is the word advocate or parakletos. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jump down to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, that is the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now notice in John chapter 14 that he calls the Spirit of God another helper. That is to say that Jesus is our advocate, probably our primary advocate, but that the Holy Spirit also serves as an advocate for believers. You see, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is before the world. And so when the world comes in to condemn us, the Spirit comes alongside of us, and He brings to our remembrance the truth of Scripture, and then we declare in those moments who Jesus is and what He has done for us. Luke, in Luke chapter 12, verse 11, says this a little differently about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says in Luke 12, verse 11, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour. And therefore at the sense of this the sense of this word is to come to our defense. Now the spirit defends us before the world. But what defense does Jesus offer? Before who is Jesus advocating for us? Well remember what this text is dealing with. It's dealing with both our desire to sin as well as our individual acts of sin. Look at it again. If you're in John chapter 14, turn back to 1 John chapter 2 and notice what the text says. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And also, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. You see, first and foremost, we see that when we commit individual acts of sin, Jesus stands before the Father in His perfect righteousness and comes to our defense. Jesus Himself argues our case. In a sense, Jesus is both judge, and advocate. Work that out yourself when you go home this afternoon. Try to figure out how that all works. But what a blessed thing it is to know that we stand before the judge and the judge leaves the bench and then stands in our defense. And so certainly Jesus defends us before the Father. But we learn another thing about Jesus' advocacy for us in the book of 1 John. And I think John has this thought germane in what he says here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. There's a second way that Jesus advocates for us. And it's before our very hearts. Notice 1 John 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. First John chapter 3 verse 19 says this. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And He knows everything. Now I certainly want to look at these verses separately, but what I want us to see here in chapter 3 verse 19 is that each one of us, beloved, have the tendency to condemn ourselves. Each one of us this morning has a heart that stands in opposition to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What John means here is that not only does the accuser of the brethren stand against us, not only does the world stand against us, but beloved, even our own hearts stand against us. Hear this and believe it this morning. Your old man, that is your natural self, Who you were in Adam, the one who is sold under sin, is your adversary. He is your enemy. The old man stands against you. He tries to convince you that you are not a new creation in Christ. The old man tries to convince you that nothing has changed on the inner man. That you are still the same old sinner that you used to be. He lies to you. And he tells you that Christ's power and righteousness is not enough for you. And notice here... That John calls Jesus Christ in those moments our advocate. Jesus Christ comes alongside us, us and declares to our hearts and to the world and even to the devil that He is enough. Amen? That Jesus Christ will confront our hearts when they condemn us. And He will confront the world when it seeks to persecute us. And in that great day, He will confront the adversary of them all and throw Him into the lake of fire that has been prepared for Him since the beginning of all things. Jesus Christ is enough. And so when your heart seeks to condemn you. When your heart tries to convince you that you are not remade in righteousness after the person and work of Jesus Christ. When your selfish and self-centered desires try to push through, Jesus, the righteous one, comes to our aid. And He declares over us Romans chapter 6 verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. When our anger rises up within our chest. And the old man convinces us that we are defined by our very outburst. Christ comes and declares in our defense, Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Beloved, when we begin to wallow in self-despair and despondency bemoaning the lot that the Lord has chosen for our life. Jesus stands us up on our feet and He declares that we are to look to Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When our hearts try to pull us back into old habits and old patterns, Jesus interjects and declares 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. When the flesh tries to convince us, that it is by our good works and deeds that we earn our favor before God and man. The Lord comes to our defense and He declares Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Beloved, when we think there's no hope for change, that we are stuck with our problems And our struggles forever. Jesus assures us. Romans chapter 6 verse 4. We were buried. Therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Jesus Christ. Was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. So too we might walk in newness of life. Beloved do you believe that this morning. Jesus Christ is coming alongside of you. And He's declaring these truths over all those who have trusted in His advocating and propitiatory work. And so may our hearts believe it this morning. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Amen? And God knows everything. The Lord knows the transformation that He has secured in our inner man. And therefore, beloved, on the basis of Jesus Christ and Christ alone, do not let the old man condemn you. When doubts and fears arise, pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and defend yourself against Him. Beloved, we are in a war. We are in a war against our own sinful natures. We are in a war against a culture that is absolutely opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ and what He stands for. And above all, we are in a war with the devil himself. But we have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is able... To defend you and so trust in him. Let's pray together. Father, what a beautiful thing. The scripture declares over us that even in the midst of our sin and our doubt and even our desires to run away from the will of the Lord, you call us back by your Son. And you say it is good that you suffer for a little while. Because if you suffer with Christ, you too will also be raised with Christ. What a glorious thing this is. May we believe it this morning. Father, may You satisfy our hearts with all that You have done in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would You work in us mightily. Father, would You make us aware of the sin that so easily besets us. And may we focus on the one who is able to overcome our sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you do this work in us, we pray.